needed to get back to our, our, our dorm rooms, our hotel, whatever it was at the time. And it, the need was getting great. We'll just say it that way. And I thought I knew where to go, and I found myself lost. And all the street signs were in Russian. And uh, it was, I, I was, I finally got down and said, Lord, I got to get home or I'm going to be very embarrassed uh, in a little bit. And so fortunately, I, I, I think that looks familiar. And then sure enough, I was able to find my, um, my, my hotel and got back up into my room and everything. But I wasn't sure where I was. I was, I mean, I was so lost. I wasn't sure I was going to find uh, the hotel or my friends ever again uh, at that time. Another time we went on a missions trip, Trish and I were driving through Poland in this dinky little car. It had back seats, but there's no way a human being could fit behind there. And so we're, we're driving through, and we're supposed to go to a camp. I was speaking at a Christian camp, and there was um, a, you know, a, just regular road, then it became a dirt road, and then it became a goat path, and then it was kind of along a mountain. And the mount, as, you know, when I say up a mountain, I don't mean going up the mountain, I mean going sideways. And it's getting steeper and steeper, and the car's doing this, this, and thought, if we keep going, we're either going to just start rolling around or sliding. Or, so we slowly backed up out of the, and finally found the camp. But this is, again, this was in 1990, so there's no GPS, nothing like that. And in Poland, the street signs are about 17 letters long. And so it's, it just looked, I mean, my last name's Okowski, and that's a short one. So, you know, Trish would say, look for, look for a sign that has BZR in the front and ZYK in the back. And that's how we, that's how we found our way along and going through the map. But it, it, is, it is tough when you're lost. I am a big fan of, of GPSs. I'm, you know, I know guys don't ask for directions, but I, I rely on them. I get lost all the time. Uh, and so I need that. Uh, to help me not to not get frustrated when we're lost. But you know what happens though when you when you take a wrong turn, you take the wrong exit, or you miss the exit. What does it say? Recalculating. It's it's kind of a nice way of saying dummy. Here's the, you know. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Pittsburgh version of of GPSs. Uh, it's you know well go past the old stadium. It's like, well, I don't know where the old stadium is. And your GPS says, <sighs> recalculating. If you've never read the Bible, okay, just imagine you've never read, you're not familiar at all with the whole story. If you've never read the Bible and you read Genesis 1 and 2, everything's good. This was good, that was good, everything was good. And then you go on to uh, chapter 3 where you have the fall, and it's absolutely awful. Instead of being good, now we have sin and now we have death. And those are big problems. And then we go into, uh, you know, the flood and restarting things. Last week we talked about the Tower of Babel. We still weren't getting it right. If you've been reading those first few chapters and you thought, is this ever going to get straightened out? I mean, how is this going to get fixed? God has a plan. God had a plan from the very beginning. We saw a little hint in chapter 3, a little bit more with Noah, little hints. But God's going to hit the recalculate button and, re, and, and show us how he is going to fix our problem 
of sin and death. We forfeited our authority. We gave it to, um, uh, to Satan and to sin. We went off road. We got off track. We tried a shortcut to what would make us happy. And, our, and you know, all we were left with murder, pride, evil, and so forth. Um, and our rebellion fractured all the promises that God had given us to be. Instead of being God's people, we became his enemies. And we were banished from his place to become wanderers across the earth uh, and cast from his presence. So how is God going to fix this? We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12 today. We're going to deal with a guy originally you'll see it named Abram, and then later his name's Abraham. Same guy. Uh, We'll talk about his name in a little bit, and I'm probably going to use both forms of his name, but you just need to know we're talking about the same guy. But he's important for this reason. He's the beginning of how God is going to fix our sin and our death. It's his whole big story uh, of how he will correct everything. But it starts with this guy whose name is Abram and later Abraham. So let's look at Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses. This is also known as the Abrahamic covenant. God's going to make a promise to him. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, when was this? When did this happen? Again, Tower of Babel was last week. Approximately 200 years after that, uh, God speaks to Abraham. Abram. It's not that common for him to do it, but there's not any real recordings of that. But he's kind of just dumped on the scene. You start to read about him in a genealogy in chapter 11, and then boom, here he is hearing from God. Uh, was it common? Probably not. Probably not to just all of a sudden hear from God. So God picks this Jewish man, right? No, there were no Jews then. Uh, Abraham himself was not Jewish then. The nation hadn't formed. It hadn't started at that point. Uh, he was actually a Babylonian. He was living not far from, uh, from where the Tower of Babel was. He moved away a little bit with his dad, uh, but his dad was kind of the patriarch. But Abram, Abram was 75 years old when he heard from the Lord. And, you know, we, we mentioned, does, does God speak today? Well, yes, he does. It always speaks through his word, through his Holy Spirit. The issue is we're not always listening. And so just a little kind of side trail here of, of listening when God speaks himself. You know, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there's these letters to the churches where Jesus specifically says some, some encouragement, some corrections to these various churches that were around in that day. And every time Jesus talks to one of them, he ends his little letter with, whoever has ears to hear, which tells me that just because you have ears doesn't mean you hear. Don't needle your husbands, ladies. That's not the time for that. It's just, it, just because you have ears doesn't mean that listening is a given because we get caught up in our lives and our own idols and our own priorities. But when God speaks, he has something better in mind. And that was true for Abram 
Uh, and also, it's tr especially true when God speaks, he's trying to get us on track with what he is doing, his way to bring glory back to himself. So what does he say? Well, first of all, he gives them a command. Go. Go leave your country. Leave where you're comfortable. It's pretty direct. Leave your family. How would you feel if you were to leave? God told you, leave your family. Just go. Just go and, and set off and not be close to them anymore. That's what God told Abram. And then, of course, there was no internet or phones or anything to keep in touch. It would be very difficult. He was, by the way, uh, allowed to take his wife. He wasn't completely abandoning his whole family. He didn't have any kids at the time. But in, in terms of what he was used to, he would have to leave. Everything he was familiar with, his extended family, brothers, sisters, and so forth, their kids, his home, where he grew up, the Walmart he shopped in, all those different places that he would know and be familiar with, he would have to go and leave. And then he says, he said, God says to him, go to a land that I show you. Well, immediately, if it were me, it's like, well, where? What direction? At least give me a point on the compass here. Give me something I can bank on. God doesn't tell him that. He just says, go head out. I've actually had that in mind as a kind of a dream vacation of just spinning a dial and saying, okay, we're going northwest and just keep going. But, but Trish has been too chicken, so we haven't done that. Um, but go to an unknown place. Go to an unknown land. What, what language do they speak? How are we going to eat? How are we going to get along? Uh, what, just go, Abram, go. And in other words, what Abram had to do is he had to believe and act on what God said. We have faith. That's what faith is, is we believe in his word. Faith, and we've said this earlier in this series, faith is acting like God tells the truth. Faith is acting like God tells the truth. So he, now God has some promises for Abraham besides this command to go. Several I statements. He says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. One, he says, I will make you into a great nation. And isn't that interesting to think of, Wow, all my descendants would be a nation of people. Like if we had, if, if God said, I'm going to make Paul land. Okay, so all your kids will be, a, will be its own nation, its own government, freeway system and everything. Wouldn't that be weird to think, wow, that everyone who descends from me will be an entire nation. Uh, that would be, yeah, it'd be like Gibsonia. Oh, there's a city, but, but imagine that same kind of thing where everyone would be, your descendants would be this new nation. But see, there's a problem for this, and we already read one of the problems. Abraham's old, and so is his wife. He's 75. She's about 70. She's well past the years for having children. She's never had children. She's been barren. But when God says he's going to do something, he frankly doesn't care about the circumstances. I will make this happen regardless. I know that, I know that your wife's barren. It's okay. We can get through this. Don't worry. I'm going to make it happen. So he says he's going to be a great nation and then says, I will bless you. What does it mean to be blessed? A lot of times I know we think a blessing is 
you know, finding a $20 bill in your jeans that you didn't know was there. And yeah, that's a blessing. Material blessings are, are valid. That's okay. But there's other kind of blessings too. There's blessings of health, blessings of family, blessings of your circumstances, having a good night's sleep. Those are all blessings as well. There's physical ones. The greatest blessing, of course, is being in touch with God, to be in fellowship with the Lord, to know that if you die today, you'll be with Jesus. Those are blessings as well. So God isn't specific. He just says, I'll bless you. But I think it includes all the physical and spiritual blessings possible for him as well. Then he says, I'm going to make your name great. Well, here we are, thousands of years later, guess who we're talking about? In a whole nother continent, that the three greatest, and by greatest I mean the largest world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, guess who they all point to in their history? This guy, Abram. So he is certainly known, not just worldwide, but worldwide for, all of, for most of our recorded history. So his name indeed has been made great. And, God's, and, he, and he's going to do this on, on his terms, though, on God's terms. You remember back last week we said the people who wanted to build the tower at Babel, do you remember why they wanted to build the tower? To make their name great. Well, God's going to do that for Abraham. He says, I'm going to do this. And that's the difference, is it's not the people looking to themselves. It's God saying, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and make your name great. But again, there's a little bit of a problem with Abram. And it's kind of an awkward situation. The name Abram, now I know for when we talk about names, names of our children, we like to pick names that match their last name, the surname. Um, my family didn't do that. Joe Okowski is not the best way. You want, you want a hard consonant, you know, so uh, to end the first name. But um, usually when we're picking our kids' names, we, we try to find one that fits our last name. The people in those days, and in Abraham's day, and even beyond that, they wanted the name to mean something. Well, when Abram was born, his father, um, just his name just escaped me for a moment. His father named him Abram, which means exalted father. He named his little boy exalted father. Isn't that a little awkward, though, when you're meeting someone? You say, hi, how you doing? My name's exalted father. Well, what's the next logical question? How many kids do you have? Oh, well, none. But here's what God does. Later on in the story, if you keep reading through Genesis, he's going to change the name Abram to Abraham. And it means something. It means father of multitude. So now you're meaning something. Hi, I'm father of multitude. Oh my goodness, how many kids do you have? Well, none. <laughs> but God has something more in mind for him. And we'll see that again in the book of Romans in a little bit about he will indeed be the father of, of many. Now, he's going to bless Abraham, but guess what? It doesn't stop there. He says he will also be a blessing uh, to the other people. So he was meant to share the blessing with others, and there's other reasons, too, he'll be a blessing. God further told him, I'll bless those who bless you, curse you, who curse, who curses you. In other words, he'll give Abraham protection 
as he's traveling and living in a, this nomad kind of lifestyle. It's smart, I think, for nations to be, want to be on Israel's team as they share in that promise from God. It doesn't mean that Israel always does the right thing uh, and we just excuse whatever they or any other nations does, but it means that we're allies with them. So he says, now finally, the last thing is all the families on earth will be blessed. Well, how is that true? How is, how are we, is anyone here Jewish? Okay. So how are we non-descendants, physical descendants of Abraham, how are we blessed? Well, there's a lot of different ways. One is, first of all, from Abraham's genetic line came this really important guy named Jesus. And because of him, every person, every nation would be blessed, would be the answer. All would have the answer for sin. Abraham is the one who believes, and that's how we access the gift of God. You don't work for it. You don't become a super good person. You don't follow a bunch of rules. You just say, I believe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride on Jesus' coattails and ride on his righteousness so that I might go and be with God and be with him forever and ever. I just believe what Jesus did. Nothing that I did. No, no, no moral code that I'm following gets me to be saved. It's what Jesus did. So we are all blessed from Abraham. He's the one who's the example of faith. He's this this faith is the answer to our sin and death problem. So all who believe are also called Abraham's children. We're adopted in not a funny way, but a very real spiritual way, and adopted in his family to, be, to share in what he did. If you, if you want to look that up later, you can look at Romans 4, specifically 16 to 24. But just as I was, I was mentioning, this is the first turn of the page, the first chapter, really, of God's plan to fix our sin and death problem. But it's not going to start here. It's going to move on. It's going to move forward and get to the point of being Jesus. Uh, um, I mean, there's, there's other things in, that are going to come up. For example, I mean, we have this reference here, but later in Exodus, we're going to hear about Moses and how the people were in slavery. Well, in the same way, Jesus delivers us from the slavery of our sin. And then God's going to give them the Old Testament law, which, yeah, I know it's not the most exciting reading, but all the feast and, and the offerings, they all speak about Jesus. They're really referring to him and teaching about him. The whole tabernacle, uh, you know, with the Ark of the Covenant and everything, all that stuff is about, guess who? Jesus and the sacrifice that's necessary uh, to, 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 that for us to have. The little book of Ruth, four chapters, four short chapters. Guess who that's really going to be about? Jesus, yeah. Uh, and, even, and then David, you have King David. The, the Savior will come. Who, David's a descendant from Abraham. Who, and then from David, there'll be uh, another descendant whose name is Jesus, who will be the king, who will sit on the God's throne forever and ever and ever. See, it's all leading up to him. And as well as the Psalms and the prophets, they're going to speak of Jesus. But this is where God's plan really opens up is with this covenant with Abraham. It's 
he's going to make him great. He's going to make him rich. He's going to make him powerful. But that's not the point. Uh, it, it is, we, we don't believe to get those things uh, at all. Uh, but because what God wanted him to do is take all those blessings, the blessings of faith, the ble- and, and pass them on to other people. We are meant to be um, uh, blessings and not hoarders. Jesus said in John seven thirty eight that out of out of our heart will flow living fountains of living water. We don't hold it in. We're supposed to be conduits, not storage bins for all the blessings that God gives us. That's why we talk about one of our core values is open-handed generosity. Not just because we, we, want, we need money, but because it, it's something that reflects God himself. All right, so did Abraham have a side of this covenant, this contract with God? And that's really all a covenant is. It's like a contract. Like when we, uh, when we sign a, a mortgage, that's a contract or a covenant as well or buying a car, or writing a check, that is a contract as well. So what is Abraham's part? What conditions did he have to uh, fulfill? You know what? In this case, nothing. Nothing. He just had to believe. God put this all on himself. And there's a, there's a point later on where Abraham's kind of wavering a little bit, and, and I might be jumping ahead to next week. But God sets these animals up where they, they cut these animals in half. And whenever you were forming a covenant with someone, you would walk in between them together, in between the halves, and with witnesses. That's how you formed a covenant. When God did this for Abraham, God himself walked through. His presence passed through. Abraham just watched. God's putting all these promises on himself. Because we're going to read, you could read later on, there's times Abraham wavers a little bit. He messes up, he makes some bad choices, uh, and God still says, I'm, I'm going to fulfill my covenant to you. Because I promised, just because I said so, not based on your performance. So how does he respond to this command to go? Verse 4 and 5. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Okay, wait a minute. Didn't he say, leave your family? Lot's his nephew. Continue reading in Genesis, Lot becomes a pain in the neck. Not personally, but just there's a lot of problems that happen in Abraham's life because Lot's there. Anyway, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarah's wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people that they acquired in, in Haran, and they set out and go into land of Canaan. So he goes, but he takes a little bit of his baggage with him. Uh, we'll see later, or you'll see later if you continue reading, they go off into Egypt, does a little lying and so forth, uh, because he's not really trusting. But we have to think where the promises fulfilled immediately. Remember, he said, you're going to be a great nation. Well, how's that going to happen within Abraham's lifetime? He probably, he probably knew, okay, down the road, as I have descendants, there will be, the, it will become a great nation. But he didn't see a lot of them. Faith is walking with the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I didn't make that up. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
It's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In fact, let's jump to Hebrews 11. I'll read you. It's kind of a long passage here, but it talks about Abraham's faith in that chapter. It says in verse 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So he's walking through this land. It's not really his. He's a, a foreigner, really, at that time. But God says, this is the land I'm going to give you. God showed it to him. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of the promise as a, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He believed in not just the promises, but beyond that, beyond his very life. Here And here we hear, by faith, and we'll deal with more next week, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. I had someone ask me, now, it would take a long time, but can't someone count them? The sand, like... No. <laughs> I mean, think of it just how much, how many grains of sand are in a cup? And we give you a microscope and a little tweezer, and you could start. I mean, how long would it take you just to count a cup? So, no. And it's a metaphor, it just means a lot, innumerable. And the, the question is, and it seems like maybe Abraham did know. It sounds like he, first of all, he probably understood that his physical descendants, his genetically linked descendants, would be a large group of people. But did he also understand that it included us, his sons and daughters of Abraham? And again, where's that? Look back in Romans 4. He believed God would call God's call meant would lead him, even though there was uncertainty, even though there were questions, even though there are, frankly, some big problems with God fulfilling his promise to have a child. He believed. He, and, and God, but God's call said, look, Abraham, I am obligated to you for what I'm going to do for you. It, it, it was meant to, to not just bless him, but bless all of us. So what does it mean? What does his story mean for us today? So what? Well, what is God calling you to do? Where do you need to go despite any uncertainty? God still calls people to the unknown. Is he calling you? I, I always think of the term mission strip. Okay. Well, yes, we're not doing one this year, but maybe God's calling you somewhere else. Uh, maybe it's not overseas. Maybe it's not to people of another language. Maybe God's calling you to have a conversation with that one neighbor, that one relative. And there are obstacles in the way. But maybe he's calling you to do that. And then thinking a little more broadly about us, what's he calling us to do as a church? I can't give her really details because I just don't know the details at this point, but there's some stirrings happening uh, among us. And as if God brings them about, I will certainly share them for you. But there, I just tell you there are some stirrings. What promise of God do you need to hold on to remember? 
Okay, talk about that conversation with that per- person. He already calls us to make disciples. He already calls us to share the light that's in us. So there, you have permission. You don't need to wait for a call. It's already given. Um, do we need to revision your life to be a blessing to others instead of just looking for blessings? And can I tell you just a personal experience that I've had whenever I've told God no? And I've told him no lots of times. Lots of t- and I don't mean uh, like a snotty little kid. No! I just, I just kind of frankly told God what I would not do. Um, I told him one time, uh, because languages are not my big skill, I'm, I wasn't comfortable uh, in, in other, uh, other cultures, uh, I, I had some bad experiences growing up with people, from, and, and so I just said, God, don't, don't bother asking me to go on the mission field, just don't do that. Well, for a while, he changed my mind to the point that when we went to Bible school and college, our goal was to go overseas. We weren't going to stay here. He actually called us to stay home. Uh, and in the meantime, that vision is still there. I've been overseas six times, and I'm probably not done yet. In other cultures, other languages, other foods that make you sick. Okay? But I told God no. And he just said, Joe, let me tell you. Yeah, he actually called us to stay home. Another one was at junior high kids. Uh, I, was, I still remember the day. I was, in a, um, I was covering for our youth pastor. They were at some camp or retreat. And all I had to do was show a movie. It was awful. The movie was awful. The kids were awful. And I'm back there. This was a movie projector. You remember those? And I'm back in this room saying, I'm never, ever, ever going to work with junior high kids. I'm not going to do it. And God said, Joe. (laughs) My first professional ministry job was at a Christian school. And I had a seventh grade class and an eighth grade class besides the high school. And I want to tell you, that first year was awful. I almost quit by December. It was terrible. God helped me, worked me, helped me to work to be a better teacher, to be, to be more interesting, to help the kids. We, had, we finished off the year better. The second year, my, my principal said, I need you to teach two seventh grades and two eighth grades. And we had a blast. And the kids who hated my class before told me they loved hearing about the Word of God. Wow. And I love, to this day, they're, yeah, they're like herding squirrels, but I love junior high kids. They're fun. Now, usually. You know what else God told me, I told God I would never do? I told him I would never plant a church. What do you think we did here back in 207? This is not my skill set, God. It's not my skill set. Joe. And then finally, the last thing I told him I would never do is live where there's snow. So. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just giving you some advice here. I can't really point to a verse for this. Just don't. All I'm saying is, don't tell him no. Just It doesn't mean he'll force you or twist your arm. And I got to say, everything that he had me do, I'm so grateful for. It was, it was a blessing. It ended up 
it, was, it was times where you're falling on your face with no resources. And folks, that's a great place to be. That's a great place to be. It says, God, all I got is you. And he, come, he says, good, that's what I've been waiting for. Let's go. It, doesn't, it also means, you know, we, we have God's given his believers on specific gifts and roles, and those are absolutely true. It does, uh, um, but so all I'm saying is just don't say him no. I'm just personal stories. Are we going to be motivated by faith or by fear? If Abraham was motivated by fear, he never would have left Ur. He never would have done that. But he did. And so, and he believed, and because he believed, we are furthermore blessed. What do we know God has already told us to do? Mentioned a few earlier, make disciples. We're told to grow in our faith. We're told to be devoted to one another. We're told to glorify him. We're told to endure hardships. We already, we already know that. We know it from the word of God. So those are, those are things we can already believe in. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect at it. It doesn't mean the sailing's always going to be smooth. But believe him. You can trust him. Don't measure success also by the way the world does. The world measures by power, by money, by other modes of success, what's popular, what's cool. God has a different standard of what's successful and its faithfulness. Read, read how Jesus, I was just reading in Matthew 15, I think it was, this woman is coming up to Jesus, kind of hounding him to help with her daughter who was sick. And she was not a Jewish person. And Jesus says, well, I'm supposed to be focusing on the Jews right now. And she says, yeah, but even, even we get the scraps. And he just smiled and beamed and said, because of your faith, your daughter's made well. He got so excited, sometimes, sometimes downright surprised, which theologically, if he's God, how does he be surprised? But that's another question. But he got surprised by people's faith. He says, oh my goodness, I haven't seen faith like that before. That's what God measures. That's what is successful in God's eyes, is that we just say, doggone it, I believe it. I believe him. I'm going to do what he says and live by faith. Let's take a moment. Uh, we're going to pause and pray as we say. Uh, if you would like to pray out loud, you're welcome to do that. If you want to stay silent, then just pray along quietly with us. But just a few things from this story here. God, first of all, God fixes our sin and death problem. We don't want to lose that truth, uh, even though it's the start of God's plan. And then I will go when God calls, it should be calls me, sorry, calls me to fill in the blank. Maybe it's far, maybe it's near. Uh, and I will stop saying no to God about as well. So I'll be quiet and I'll close this in a little bit. But if you want to pray out loud as well, let's pray as a group, as a people of God today. God, you have fixed our sin and death problem. And it started with his promise to Abraham. Most, most every New Testament author refers to, to Abraham. All but one, I think. And Lord, there is, uh, he is a man like us. But Lord, our, our part is just belief on what Jesus has done on the cross and in his empty tomb. And God, I believe that. I know, I know that if I died today, in the next hour, 
that I will be with you forever because your word is good. You speak the truth. And it's all possible by what you have done. And so, Lord, we are grateful. If there's someone here who hasn't done that, Lord, I just pray that you would just show them that grace is free. It's certainly not cheap. It costs you your son. But, Lord, there is a, a uh, simplicity, a turning over of our will to just say, Lord, I'm going to follow you and begin that new journey and then become a, a new son or daughter of Abraham. God, we, we as a church, we, we could do all sorts of things, but we want to, first of all, be led by you. We don't want to be led like uh, the people of the Tower of Babel we saw last week. We want to bring you glory and honor, so we pray for your directions. We pray to hear your voice. And Lord, there are going to be obstacles. There's going to be we're not going to have the time. We're not going to have the money. We're not going to have the resources. We're not going to have the people to, to do what you call us to do. But Lord, you are faithful. And it's your desire that we want to follow. We're not trying to have you join our plans and bless our plans. Lord, we want to, we want to join your plans and be faithful to them. So Lord, we pray that we would not be people who say no. And just say, let's ride this wave that you would have us on individually and as a church. Uh, and God, again, I don't, I don't know details. I don't know when or how any of, any of your plans will come to fruition, whether it be this year, next year, or, or next week. But Lord, we want to be people who say, yes, we'll go. We'll obey. And uh, find that uh, following you is the most fulfilling thing we could do in our lives. In your name. Amen. All righty. Um, guys, just a reminder for the, the men, uh, we're, we meet every Sunday at 8 o'clock for Review Preview. And so we'll, we'll look at Abraham again next week uh, here. We just kind of sit around a circle, and then we'll preview the message for that day as well. A few other announcements as our worship team comes forward. Our family fun day is uh, right after church on the 19th. And uh, someone asked me today if we're still collecting paper tubes. Yes, we'll collect them up to the 19th. So if you have them, bring them. And there's a back underneath that table, there's a little tub there. And you can put them in there. And we will um, uh, do the marble game thing with the kids. And I think I mentioned before, we could use some more adult help on that day. Uh, we got a gift for some pizza. So we'll have pizza and some pop and maybe chips or whatever. Uh, for that uh, that afternoon for lunch as well. So that's the 19th here right after our church gathering. Uh, and then also, you've been hearing me talk about the Lenten gatherings. These are all, all or most of our churches here in our area. Um, you know, for, from Bruin, Shakora, here Carn City, uh, out towards Sugar Creek, East Brady. Um, where else? I said Shakora, right? Anyway, everyone around, okay? Uh, and so every year we do what's called our Lenten gatherings. We meet starting uh, on Ash Wednesday. That's not our tradition. So if you come here, we won't have any ash. So if you want to do that somewhere, you could do that. But um, uh, it is February 22nd. So we're actually in the same month. And we're meeting the first week is Harvest Church. I'll be speaking, and I'll be speaking on brokenness from Matthew 15. How do I know that? Because I have a blue card. And you can get a blue card too 
back at the, uh, the guest services area has every Wednesday night, 7 p.m., uh, that you could join us. So you can see which church and where we are speaking. We're hosting as a church on the 8th of March. And so uh, Pastor John Pistorius will be here speaking. He'll be speaking on surrender. Remember a few years ago, we spoke on brokenness, surrender, and holiness. And God just put it on my heart to... Um, to have our whole community hear that. And so um, I brought it to our ministerium, and they said, okay, you're in charge, organize that. And I did. And so, um, but I got to tell you something, what we need, it's not, it's not packaging, it's not organizing meetings. We need the Spirit of God for us to hear. I'm looking for people who will say, not only will they take a blue card and maybe come sometimes, uh, but they'll say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Um, so that week of the 22nd, I'm going to pr- read Matthew 15, 7 through 20, and I'm going to pray it for the people, or my fellow brothers and sisters in our community. And so, um, boy, send me an email. I, I don't know if you're doing it if you don't tell me. I'm good, but not that good. Uh, let me know. I, I would be a huge encouragement to me. Send me an email. Give me a call. Um, write me a note or whatever and say, hey, I want you to know I'm praying each week for the Lenten gatherings that, that we would be people, we have ears, let's use them, people who have ears to hear uh, and be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters. I'm still, lack of a better word, blessed from when we did this series. And to, to, be, to, to be holy, we have to be surrendered. And to be surrendered, you got to be broken. You got to realize that we got nothing. We bring nothing to the table. And so um, please tell me uh, that you would be willing to faithfully pray uh, through those passages each week. And, if you'd, and what I'll probably do is write up some prayer guides for those as well. And so I could send those to you. Okay, let's continue.